Well, we've been in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Um, tradition has it in, uh, in the way that we do preaching calendars is that when we get to an American holiday, we stop what we're doing in the Bible and then go do something else. Uh, so today is Father's Day, so we're going to do Father's Day. But, 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 we're going to stay in Ephesians while we do it um, to, break, <laughs> to, to uh, break with tradition there a little bit. Uh, we, we are going to be jumping forward, though. If you've been with us, uh, you know that we've been um, doing Ephesians uh, made new to, uh, to live new. And that's, uh, that's a, like a little catchy phrase, but it, it kind of captures the fact that Ephesians, as a book, is split into two parts. Uh, the first part of the book is really theological, and it talks about how God has changed us, made us new, uh, through faith um, in Christ. And then the second part of the book is, is how we live in response to that, the, the, the change that comes about in our lives uh, because we have this new life. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit to, to get to um, our Father's Day sermon. This is in the Live New half of the book. In fact, it's near the end in Ephesians 6. And as we do this, what I, what I would like us to think about is Paul is going to be, you know, he's talking to a, a church in Ephesus in the first century. He's talking to a very different cultural context. And he is addressing fathers, but fathers in this context may be a little different than we think of fathers now, or they may be very similar. Um, but I, wanna, I want us to hear not only how what he's saying cuts against um, fatherhood in the first century, but also how it cuts against some of our temptations and tendencies towards fatherhood in, in the 21st century. So I want us to see Paul as speaking both to then and, and now in a really powerful and transformative and radical way. So that we're going to hear three ways that he cuts against ancient notions of fatherhood and, and three ways that he cuts against what you might think of as modern notions of fatherhood. So we're going to do both, and then, and then we're going to say, all right, well, here we are in the 21st century. What do we do now? How do we live in light of God's vision for fatherhood? How do we live in light of our desire to be fathers after God's own heart? Now, uh, to begin, I, I just want to shape the, the t- context a little bit, just so you're, you're familiar with what Paul is talking about, who Paul is talking to. And he's talking to paterfamiliuses. Uh, this is uh, the, the Latin for um, father, uh, father of the family. Um, and it's, a, it's actually a very strict role in Greco-Roman life. And um, I thought it'd be helpful, maybe you, if you saw some images, you get a sense for what it looks like to be a paterfamilias. So uh, this right here, th- this is cool. Um, notice that he's like seated, um, and he's regal, almost like a king. Uh, and he has uh, two servants. One is an actual servant, the other his wife. And, uh, and, and, and you can see that, that she's probably um, reading aloud to him, and he's taking his ease, hearing the news of the day. And uh, probably his servant uh, there is thinking, what am I going to do to make sure that, that this guy is happy? He's kind of the boss hog, in a way. Um, now, there's a reason for that, and there's a reason for that. Uh, this next uh, slide, this is actually from, um, this is uh, the imperial family of, of uh, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus. This is his, um, you can't see him real well. He's actually the first guy who's cut off, because uh, this is old and it's been broken. But this is, uh, this is from Italy. Uh, this was, div- this was, uh, this was uh, commissioned to celebrate the peace that Augustus had brought to the Roman Empire. And Augustus is roughly contemporary familiar. Uh, he's roughly contemporary with Paul. And notice all the people, okay? These are all members of his family, okay? And notice that they're not all his wife and kids. Notice that, just like in the last slide, he's got a lot of people that he considers family 
that we probably would think of more as an extended family, and even beyond that, even more than extended family, um, clients, servants, slaves, friends, close friends. I mean, they're all there, right? And they all look to one guy, Augustus, he's the boss. He's in control. In fact, in Roman law, the paterfamilias, this guy who's the head of all these people, he had legal control of a lot of people, even if they weren't blood relations, if they were considered part of his, his household, his home. Um, this is a little weird for us because in, in American culture, we tend to think of your house or your home as featuring um, parents and kids and that's it. And sometimes not even that. Sometimes just parents. Sometimes just being single. That's not what the ancient world thinks like. In, in fact, you might even say that the potter familius or father of the family means something like overseer of the extended family. This is in your note sheets. Overseer of the extended family. He's kind of a cross between family man and small business owner. That's true. He, uh, remember, he, he's got a lot going on. He's working on a lot of different things, this potter familius. He, he's in control of all the lands that the family has, which may be a lot, maybe a little. He's in control of whatever business the family participates in. He contracts out with workers. Um, and, and at the same time, he's thinking about the future. He's thinking, well, what happens when I'm gone? Well, I need to have people who are ready to pick up the slack and take care of business. So he's, out, he's also in kind of a, a succession plan of sorts. And so he's, he's not only just dad and husband, he's also boss. He's also in charge. And so for the paterfamilias, his notions or his temptations about what fatherhood may or may not be might be a little bit different than what we might think. So let's hear Paul. Let's hear Paul. This is uh, Ephesians 6, 4. Um, Marilyn, I may have this, or mom, I may have the slides out of order, but Ephesians 6, 4, this is what Paul says, and hear this in the context of a paterfamilias. And you, paterfamiliases, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We're going to look at three elements of this command, and we're going to think about how they hit these, these paterfamiliuses, these, these ancient uh, heads, overseers of the extended family. And then we're going to see how those, uh, those three ways might impact us as 21st century modern dads. Well, if, if you think about you know, the paterfamiliuses being kind of dad and husband and small business owner, you can think of some temptations he might have. Or you might even think about this. What would a successful paterfamilias look like? Well, he might have a tendency to be a bit domineering, a bit overbearing. He might have really high expectations for the people in his household because he's looking for them to succeed him. He needs to make sure that things get done. He's got a lot of responsibilities. And since he has legal control, there's nothing that's going to stop him from bringing the whip when he needs to. He's successful. He's looking for others to pick up the slack. And when we look at uh, this, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is this first thing. Provoke your children to, la- to wrath. What does that mean? Well, you can imagine, if you've got a paterfamilias who tends to be a little bit overbearing, tends to be domineering, tends to possibly be even violent, even cruel in many cases, you can see how that might very quickly bring children to become embittered and rebellious. Um, If you receive the lash long enough, 
You begin to hate the one holding it. And there was a tendency in the, in the first century for fathers to, to kind of do that. Um, and so they brought their kids up in a very punishing way. And you can see then that they might, kids might, come back. And so Paul's saying, dads, don't do that. Don't, don't provoke them. Don't, don't be so overbearing and so domineering and so rules-oriented that you break their spirits. Instead, do not be a tyrant because you will provoke a rebellion. That's what happens with tyrants. People come up and overthrow them and cut them down. Don't be that for your kids, guys. That's a terrible choice. Instead, you might even start thinking of yourself not as a ruler or king, you know, boss hog, but maybe their coach a little bit. Instead, guys, start thinking about how you can get them from here and there without breaking their spirits or their hearts. Don't be a tyrant. You'll provoke rebellion. There's a second element to Paul's command. He says, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in training of the Lord. It's an interesting phrase. It's the, uh, the Greek word for bring up there is a trepho. And it's actually, um, it has a really interesting connotation in Greek. It's actually um, talking a little bit about affection, about nurturing, nourishing. In fact, the old King James even translates this, um, but bring them up in the nourish and the nurture and admonition of the Lord because it's trying to bring out this, this thing. In fact, it gets used in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel, um, there's a part where uh, David, or uh, King Saul, I think, has, or you know, King David has been mean, has been nasty, he's done some bad things, and a prophet comes and tells him a story. And he's telling the story. He's really hamming it up for David. He talks about, he said, there's this poor man. This poor man had nothing. All he had was a beautiful, precious little baby goat that he was nurturing, that he was bringing up, that he was rearing. This word, a trefo, he's nurturing this baby goat. He loved this goat so much that um, he brought him to the table and he would eat with his goat. And when he, literally, it says this, it's, I mean, it's kind of funny, I think. Um, he, went, when he went to bed, he brought his little goat to bed with him and they slept together, they snuggled at night. He's like, that, that's, that's bringing up. That's nurturing. Now, if you're a paterfamilias in the first century and you hear that word talking about what you're supposed to be doing with your children, you might hear the cut of Paul's commands. It's not, it's not train your kids like your army soldiers. It's not the Marines. We're not breaking them down. We're not, in the Marines, I've heard a story that when you do something well, um, you're in training, your buddies bring, and they hit you and they hurt you. Like to, reinforce the fact that just because you did it well once doesn't mean you're going to do it well again. You better, you better know who's in charge here. That's the Marines. That's how the Marines do things. That's not how dads do things, Paul says. That's not how the paterfamilias does things, he says. That word training, uh, however, is a little bit, in the, in the first century, a little bit like the Marines. It's, it's education and discipline, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Paul's point, though, is are you supposed to be tough and austere? Well, maybe from time to time. But you're also supposed to be kind. You're supposed to be gentle. You're supposed to be affectionate. So that when you raise your kids, they know that you love them. That they know that they're not just soldiers in your army. But that they're people that you love. And that's our second principle on your note sheet. Be affectionate, Paul says to the paterfamilias. As you train your children, be affectionate. 
The third part of Paul's commands to fathers and, uh, is this admonition of the Lord. This admonition of the Lord. It's a, very, it's a little bit of a, an archaic word in English nowadays. We don't usually use the word ad- admonition. Um, but if you want to get a sense for what it means, there's a story that um, a, Rome, a Roman, Greek, Greco-Roman historian um, tells about the philosopher Plato. Um, at one point, Plato uh, was, was kind of known for just saying what he thought. And uh, he had some strong critiques for the way that the world worked. And there was this, um, this local warlord named Dionysius. And uh, Dionysius walked up to Plato and he was like, so Plato, what do you think about me being an awesome warlord? And Plato said some really very candid things about how much he disliked it. And Dionysius said, you know what's cool about being a warlord? When someone mouths off to you, you can kill him or just send him away. And so he does. He sends Plato away, takes away all of his possessions, separates him from his, his family. He's exiled and he's lost, uh, he's sold into slavery actually. And, uh, and, and, and so Plato's friends get together and they're like, man, that was a real bummer. We like Plato. He's got a lot of important things to say to us. And so they gather their resources and they purchase um, Plato's freedom from slaves. And they, they, they purchase a passage on a boat and they bring him back to Greece. And he's, as he's getting off the boat, um, they met him with the friendly admonition, the same word, that a wise man should associate with tyrants either as little as possible or with the best possible grace. An admonition kind of like a counsel slash warning, kind of like um, this is good advice and you should probably be on guard because if you don't take it, you could be in trouble. When Paul says admonition of the Lord, what he's saying is let your kids know who the real boss is. You see, Potterfamilius, you're sitting up there in your throne and your servants are fanning you and you're managing the family business, but you're not the real boss. God is. You need to lead your kids in such a way that they get that. Because they're going to go around the town and they're going to see other Potterfamiliuses, and those guys are God to their families. They're tyrants. They are gods. But you, you, your God, is going to be the Lord Jesus. Your Lord is him. And so this third way that Paul's command cuts against first century notions of fatherhood is it's counsel your children to respect Jesus as Lord instead of yourself. You're not the Lord of your home. He is. And if you live that way, then your kids will have that counsel. Well, some of you guys are uh, kind of macho. We have some, uh, some manly men in this church. Uh, and so maybe you can sort of relate to the, the Potter Familius a little bit. You're like, yeah, I kind of do see myself as, as the boss. And, and so maybe some of Paul's uh, teaching kind of hits you where you're at. I got to be honest, it doesn't hit me where I'm at. Uh, I never have thought of myself as the Potter Familius. Um, maybe it's something I should aspire to, and uh, I'll work on that. But I'm actually pretty much, uh, I'm pretty much exactly what you would get if you were to talk about a modern dad. I am like 21st century, I'm just barely a millennial, I'm a millennial, I'm a millennial dad. And that's kind of how I think about dadding, about fathering. Now if you're wondering what a millennial dad looks like, I have a couple of pictures for you. Yes, okay, it's hard to see, hard to see what's going on here, but right at the bottom, right at the bottom of the screen, he's holding his PlayStation controller. 
This is a very effective way to put your kids to sleep while at the same time having your time. If you don't know what a PlayStation is, you're probably a better person than I am. All right, this next one right here. This is, yep, there it is. Aw, aw, Sophia the First. That's uh, the character on his backpack. She's a, a young Disney princess. And, you know, he's walking his daughter. I've done this. In fact, last night, I literally walked into a restaurant with a, a, a Tinkerbell backpack on for my kids. So, I mean, this guy, you can tell that he's in touch with his feelings. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed to be doing dad stuff with this, with, this, with this girl. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what you think about him. It's all right. It's fine. Here's another one. Yeah. I love his look, right? Uh, these are all candid shots, by the way. This was not posed. Um, this was how I wrote my dissertation um, for, yeah, for my, my first book. This is how I did it. And, um, and it's interesting because... The space has been sort of taken over by, by the daughter, the kid. He's like, he's, he's making, he's barely got enough space for himself. And he's trying to think, you know, trying to think deep thoughts, but he's obviously distracted a little bit. Um, interesting way about going about work. But notice, notice the Potterfamilius would never have done this. Because this guy, this guy values time with his daughter, and he's willing to have it cut into his work a little bit. He's willing to make some, some sacrifices there. It's a different mentality. A different mentality. It's modern dads. Now, you'll notice if you look at all three of these, uh, these pictures, modern dads tend to be more willing and able to help with traditional nurturing roles. More willing. Okay, look, I, I did my fair share of diaper changes. My dad says he changed my diaper once. <laughs> I, last year at VBS, I changed about 30 diapers. I think most of them were Paisley's. <laughs> no problem, though, because I'm a pro. I'm a modern dad. No big deal. Right? I'm willing to help with traditional rearing roles. Uh, just as a side note, this is actually the influence of Christianity. Okay? Paul said these things 2,000 years ago to the Potterfamilias, right? All the Potterfamilias out there. Paul said this stuff. And, and Christians took it to heart. And over the intervening millennia, um, dads have had their roles changed. They've been called to a different kind of fatherhood by the church, by the gospel. And it's worked. It's worked. Now this is considered okay. It's considered normal uh, for guys to be, um, you know, with their kids and spending time with them and, and, and helping uh, nurture them. That, that's, it's normal now. But I, I do think, though, that even though we've been influenced by Christianity, we might have gone a little bit overboard. And I think that if we listen to Paul's command, it has ways that it's going to cut against this, this modern dad way of doing things. So let's pick him up again. Let's hear again. Principles for a modern dad. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. It's interesting, you think about a paterfamilias, the way that he provokes a child to wrath is through unrealistic expectations, um, dominance, sometimes violence. I think one of the ways that modern dads are tempted um, to provoke their kids to wrath is by disappearing. Uh, we live in a time uh, when kids are growing up without dads, or at least not knowing their dads, um, at unprecedented rates. And we have reams and reams of data. We know that dads matter. Look, we've got people in this church who adopt. We have people in this church who have stepkids. We have people in this church who are uncles. Every single one of these roles is critical in aiding fatherhood. 
Because kids need to know that dad's there. If you're a child and you grow up as an adopt, as, uh, after having been adopted, or you grow up with a step-parent, or you have to rely deeply on an uncle, you need them there. They anchor you. And when we know this, we know it. We know that when kids don't have dads, statistically speaking, they are much more likely to become violent. They're much more likely to become uh, criminals. We know that there's something about this role of being there, rooted, showing up day in and day out, that matters deeply. You've heard that fathers are our models for God. And if our earthly fathers leave, what does that tell us about God? Dads, be there. Do not disappear because your child will become bitter and anarchic. This is not, this is not 100%. Not every single time a child comes without a father does, does the child become bitter and anarchic. It's just in general, but it is real. It is real. And so we need to be a church that has, let's have dads that show up. Let's have dads that are there. And if you're adopting or, or you're stepdadding or you're uncling, do it. It matters. And ladies, help your dads out. Just as working puts, uh, I know from personal experience that, that work um, puts strains on moms. If moms are or working moms, it's hard. Well, likewise, rearing kids is hard on dads. Ladies, support your men. And men, be committed to never disappearing. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The, the training. I promise we'd talk a little bit about this. I have a friend. Um, he's a friend of a friend, actually, but he was the son of a Baptist minister, and he went to school um, at a college in the East Coast where he realized that there was no God. But he thought that, that religion might be of value for some folks. And so he, he got married, had some children, and he was thinking about what he was going to do as a father, how he was going to raise his kids, since, well, there's no God, but religion, religion can be helpful sometimes. And so what he thought, and what he would do, is he would make it such that he was going to let his child and his children choose whatever faith they want. It was very de- democratic, very American. You, you grow up, and you, you're sort of like in the supermarket of ideas, and you're walking down the, the, the aisle, and you're, oh, Buddhism, that's interesting. Oh, look at this, materialism. Hmm, that, that sounds like it might be kind of good. Christianity, oh, that one seems a little bit hard. Don't know if I want to do that. And then at a certain point, you make your choice. And you check out, and you become that. And that was the way he was going to raise his kids. Big, spoiler alert, his kids are atheists. They followed him. This is because he neglected the idea of training your kids in the things of the Lord. That word tra- training, it's very much, it's education and it's discipline. And, and what, what's interesting about Paul is he, Paul's not talking about training them to become you know, sports stars. He's not tra- talking about training them to be really good at math and reading. Those are not the things he's talking about training your kids in. He's talking about training them in the things of the Lord. Let's, let's call it what it is. It's indoctrination. When you've got kids, you are to indoctrinate them into the Christian faith without compromise, with boldness, and with clarity. Your kids need to know that the number one thing that matters is the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in him. And the second thing is being committed to following him as a disciple. That is, that is point number one. Do not forsake that training because you desire to be so uh, democratic. 
I uh, have a friend who's um, older, and his extended family call him the father of the year. And the reason they call him that is because he expects nothing of any of his kids, faith or otherwise, but instead simply accepts them as they are. In no way am I suggesting that we do not unconditionally love our children. Of course we do. But we also seek to instill in them holding fast the faith of our fathers. Principle number two for modern dads, be intentional about indoctrinating your children in the faith. Intentional. We're going to talk a little bit about intentionality at the end. The third principle that I think cuts against modern dads. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. One of the things that uh, millennials like myself know for certain is that we are the center of the universe. Um, we, uh, the, when, when, I, when I exit a building, I look at the world and I think, I'm so glad that all of this is here for me to enjoy because I am the center. That's how we think, sort of naturally. Now, one of the reasons this happens is because our culture makes it out that the most important thing is your happiness and, and your fun and it's all about you. Youth is really important too. We don't, I mean, old people, what do they know? It's not like they've been around for a while, right? We, it's, it's really, it's about you and, and you go live it up and, that, and that's what we do. Well, the admonition of the Lord says that, hey, some, some friendly advice. Friendly advice. You know who the real Lord of the world is? It's not you. It's not me, the potter familius. It's the Lord Jesus, and he will come in his kingdom. Be forewarned. Fair warning. If you don't make him the center, you're risking a lot. The admonition of the Lord says, Jesus is the center, not your kids. This is the modern dad thing. We are so tempted to make our kids our little idols. They're the center. That's not what we want to communicate to them. We want them to know that Jesus is the center. Counsel your children, this is number three in your notes, it's counsel your children to respect Jesus as Lord instead of themselves. Instead of themselves. I hope you've seen with me that, um, that Paul's, Paul's teaching about fatherhood is just as, you know, it's just as real today as, as it was um, in the first century. It cuts differently, I think, because we have different tendencies um, as modern dads. Although, to be fair, there's still plenty of Potter Familiuses out there. And so his teaching cuts against them as well. But I hope you see that it's still just as radical, just as relevant. But man, now we're at the hard part. The hard part is getting it done. Let's just say that uh, you're here. Welcome uh, to everyone here. If you're here right now, and you're like, yeah, that's the kind of family I want. That's the kind of dad I want to be. I want to be the dad who, who doesn't provoke children to, to rebellion and bitterness. I want to be the kind of dad who is nurturing and does train them up in the faith. I really do want to be a dad who lets them know who the real boss is and who they really ought to be thinking about when they make their choices and, and go through life. But how do I do it? Well, I don't know, because uh, I'm only 35. I'm uh, hopefully doing all right with my kids, but 
I mean, I'm just as lost as, as many of you. But good news, good news. Just because I don't have the answers doesn't mean that there aren't people here who do. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about, uh, the elders have been talking about, um, is happening at, at the church is really starting to um, reinvest in uh, community and relationships. And, and so one of the things that we we're talking we're going to start doing in the fall is uh, setting up some places for adults to get to know each other, um, to spend time together, to, to study scripture together, to think through the faith together, to think through life together. And uh, we have uh, one elder who's actually volunteered um, to talk, to do a small group specifically about being a Christian leader in the home, being a dad and a husband and a father and an uncle and whatever who is committed to leading the way, to, to modeling the way. Uh, so if, you, if this is something that, that speaks to your heart and you really want to be this and you want to think about this and you want to wonder and ask some questions and learn a bit, um, I encourage you, we're going to talk a little bit more about it as we move towards the fall, but, but Lou uh, Gutierrez has, has volunteered um, to start a, a group that's going to be specifically about this, strategies, tactics, ways to be intentional so that our kids are grown up in the faith. He's going to teach us about what it is to model the way. We're going to learn with him. So if that's something that, um, if, if this is something that's, that's tugging on your heart, keep that in mind. Because um, we do need uh, help to figure it all out. The last thing, um, and this is maybe even the most important thing. Maybe you're here and maybe you want to be um, a dad or an uncle or a, a father or even just a father in the church, a surrogate father for, for the kids here. Um, and maybe you've said this to yourself, I thought I was a good man, but fell short of my standards. Maybe you carry a little bit of guilt with you where you go. Maybe you feel like you haven't always done it right. Maybe you feel the weight of, I, I don't know where I messed up, but it must have been me that messed up because this kid's not the way that they ought to be. If you're the kind of dad who's scared of being in the game because you feel like you failed, you need to remember what kind of God you serve. It's cool. It's great to sit up here and talk about the principles of being the best dad ever. Going to be a home run dad. But any one of us who's tried it knows that there are times where we just feel like... When our daddy saw us covered in pig slop, home, coming home with no money, having squandered our inheritance, having lived far off, doing awful things, having been sullied in every possible way, when our father saw us running back to him, he ran to meet us, and he hugged us, he embraced us, and said, you are forgiven. I love you. I'm going to throw a party for you because you're here now. That's how much I love you. When you were far off, our daddy sent his first son, his only begotten son, to pay the price, to bring you home, that you have been brought near by his blood. That's what daddy did for us. If that's who God is, and that's what God has done, then I think you might have permission to forgive yourself for some of the ways that you haven't lived up to whatever standards you set. 
You have permission to receive grace again. You have permission in the midst of that grace to regather your courage and start over and try again. You have permission to become a father after God's own heart. I'm excited about being a good dad. Probably uh, later th- this evening, uh, around bedtime, I'm going to lose, lose a little bit of steam. Uh, <laughs> but right now I'm feeling it. Friends, let's get excited about being great dads. Let's be excited about being great stepdads, adopted dads, uncles, whatever it is we are. Let's be dads to the kids in this church. Let's get ready and let's get excited about it. And if we're looking for ways to do it, let's think about joining Lou's small group in, in, in September. Um, and, and, if, and if we're, if we're feeling like, man, we just didn't do it right, let's, let's right now, let's all together, let's pray for uh, to this, this, this vision to go forward for God's forgiveness and grace to wash over us and let us be dads anew. Can we do that? Let's pray right now. Father, you are a good, good dad. You've got good, wild ways for us to be dads. You've called us not to anger our kids with being too strict and and, and, and beat them up by not being there for them. You've called us, uh, God, instead to, to be affectionate in our nurture for them, but also, God, to, to bring the faith to them, to, to, to build them up in the faith. You've called us, God, to remind our kids that we're not the center, and they're not the center, but you're the center. God, I pray that every dad here would be inspired to live that out from this day forward, to be intentional about leading the way for the kids God, I pray that every single one of us who has guilt about our failures as dads, that God, we will remember that you have forgiven us, that we will accept your loving embrace, accept your forgiveness, accept your grace. God, give us grace. Forgive us for the ways that we haven't lived up. And call us again. Call us again to your vision for what it means to be dad. God, make us fathers after your own heart. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.